Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hunt. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, mesh together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. Although today's episode is a little less fun than most, but uh, we'll be discussing the technologies that have been thrown into the spotlight because of the COVID-19, some people call it coronavirus more generally, and be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 14 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Yeah, it's a little somber uh, to be here amidst the coronavirus. I mean, we're recording this on March 17th, so it will be amazing once this actually goes live, you know, what will have happened between now and then since it's so fast moving. And um, I think both of us can say our hearts go out to anyone that's been affected by it, uh, specifically, but we've all been affected by it in one way or another. Yeah, and certainly anyone who's on the front lines, you know, nurses, uh, clinicians, doctors, Anyone who's uh, helping yep. to fight on the front lines of this, you know, our thoughts go out to them because I'm sure they're under a lot of stress and uh, there is a lot of uh, confusion and frustration out there. So, uh, you know, hopefully by the time this airs, that's, you know, we're kind of through that. But but if we're still in the middle of it, I, I hope that they're doing OK and uh, that they're taking time for themselves as well. Definitely. And uh, hopefully we can shed some insight on some technologies that are happening. I mean, I think it's important that we carry on as best we can, even amidst all the turbulation. There you go. There you go. So let's talk about that. So we're here today to talk about some of the technologies we think might emerge with the spotlight because of what's happening right now with the coronavirus and COVID-19. Uh, so one of the areas I think very obviously is telehealth technologies, right, John? I mean, that's been thrust in the spotlight. We've had changes to legislation and in new codes that are suddenly available now to people, allow people to bill through this. Uh, there's a lot of waving of things. Telehealth is definitely in the spotlight and deservedly so, you know, in the time when we're not supposed to have physical contact, this and we have some remote issues around patient, you know, seeing patients, this is the perfect solution for that. Yeah, our friend Rasu just shared on Twitter, he said, the genie's out of the bottle and hopefully we don't put it back in, <laughs> which I think is a, a fair assessment of telehealth. I mean, people are adopting it. I, I've seen all sorts of tweets that said, we've had more virtual visits in 24 hours than we did in the last two years, or you know, <laughs> anecdotally, things like that, or whole teams that are rolling out hundreds of physicians to be able to offer these telehealth services. We see EHR vendors offering their telehealth uh, services for free. Uh, A number of those I've seen as well, which is awesome. But I am really glad that CMS and HHS are taking the lead on actually paying for it as well, because I know doctors are ready to do the telehealth visit because they don't want to be next to their patients either, especially if they don't have to be. They want the social distancing as much as possible as well. But if they're not going to be paid for it, do we expect them to work for free, even though this is a very trying time and many of them would be willing to do that? You know, so I, I think it's great that they're doing the reimbursement. And I hope it really does get that genie out of the bottle and telehealth is now just a mainstream part of how we interact with the doctor. 
Yeah, I think it definitely, if you weren't thinking about telehealth before, you're definitely going to consider this right after the crisis ends, uh, because adopting this technology, you know, for the next time is going to be critical to be able to, you know, serve your community and serve the patients. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely think that, you know, it, it took, unfortunately, it took uh, something of this scale and this magnitude to really show what telehealth can do and that it is not as scary as people thought. It's, it is limiting, sure, but there are so many ways around it and there is so much help that is able to be provided in this format, right? I mean, one of the areas that I'm taking a very keen interest in is sort of the mental health aspect of this, right? Because it is very stressful. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that need it. And telemental health, if I can use the coin that, if I can stick that term in there, is definitely experiencing explosion right now because, you know, up here in Canada, we've just removed the restriction where uh, between uh, provinces, where one mental health person in another province couldn't help someone else in this province. They've removed those barriers temporarily. And I'm hoping that that barrier stays down. Uh, and same with billing. They've, they've added more billing codes uh, for uh, mental health services, where before it was very limited in, in the scope of what could be provided. So uh, that is definitely uh, something that I'm excited about. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of the vendors that are in this space, uh, like Able to, for example, uh, they're very excited about some of these developments uh, with, you know, as a result of the coronavirus. Yeah, and it's exciting to see. I did see a really interesting article that we'll be sharing on Healthcare IT Today as well and featuring some of the insights from Jay Parks. Parkinson, I think his name, Parkinson, I always screw up his last name, but he built one of the first telehealth platforms there in New York City and, and created, you know, was really a pioneer in this area. And he pointed out something really interesting that in many cases, what we need is asynchronous telehealth, not video telehealth. And, you know, his arguments were really, you know, well laid out as far as in many cases, the doctor doesn't need to see you to screen you. In fact, just that one-time video visit isn't what you need to monitor the coronavirus. You need an ongoing asynchronous communication of what symptoms you're experiencing, what, you know, what changes to your temperature, any of those things to the doctor with communication back, also to alleviate the fears that you have, which are causing the mental health issues. You know, that's what's needed. So I thought it was a pretty compelling case, and I hope we'll see more adoption of asynchronous telehealth communication with doctors as much as we're seeing people try to roll out the full video telehealth. Yeah, and I think that's part of the evolution that we're kind of experiencing right now because we're having so many test cases, right, and so many use cases suddenly around telehealth. Uh, you know, you just mentioned the asynchronous aspect. I'm sure there's going to be thoughts around, well, how can we incorporate this with texting and with emails and, and how can we use video in that in that way? Because you're right, it doesn't have to be like what we're doing now where we see each other live there may be even other ways that we can leverage telehealth. Uh, I know I recently spoke to the good folks at Caregility, right, and talking about virtual sitters, uh, which could help yep. with, you know, people at home, and you could have, you know, 15, 20 people being monitored monitored at a central location and just sort of tele, tele, telehealthing in, if you will, into the room. But that's internal use of telehealth within the walls of the hospital. It's not even external. So just some really interesting use cases are coming to light now. and. I think this industry is definitely, this subsector is definitely going to experience some growth uh, once things calm down. Uh, and so, and kudos, yes, kudos, as you mentioned, John, to the folks that are offering their platforms for free right now to, for people to use to just try and help with the situation.
Yeah, I mean, you can almost imagine some asynchronous telesitting with coronavirus people that are quarantined for 14 days and helping them through that process, the fears and everything that's associated. The other big thing that just came out, and so I haven't even read the regulations, but basically uh, President Trump and his team have waived the HIPAA regulations Mm, on a number of communications. From what I hear, it could be somewhat narrow in what they're actually allowing. So we'll have to dig into the details. But essentially, I think his vision is that things like FaceTime, Skype, Google Hangouts, whatever, even you know the platform we use to record this episode, you could use a GoToWebinar, et cetera, uh, that those are not maybe not HIPAA compliant, but they're going to waive the HIPAA regulations for many organizations that are in the crisis situation to be able to deal with it. So I think that will be really interesting to see, one, how it's adopted by healthcare organizations, if they'll still have fear of HIPAA or other things because it was too narrowly defined. And if they start using it, how do they use it? And what's the benefit to patients? Are patients at risk? And let's be honest, we already know that hackers are coming after coronavirus and fears around it. So you could see them coming that way too. So I think we have to be a little careful with it. Kind of brings us a nice segue, John, to the to the next technology that we think are, is going to really pick up steam or is picking up steam. And that's, of course, the home monitoring uh, sector right now with, with all of us, uh, you know, being self-isolated at home and people having to put themselves in 14-day quarantine after traveling and all these other restrictions and, and certainly countries around the world just going into complete lockdown. Uh, you know, for those that have conditions that are not critical where they need to be in a hospital, who can be at home, but who need, who had regular visits from a healthcare professional, now, of course, uh, now we need to look to home monitoring to in lieu of that. And so whether this is the device to manage our cardiac um, uh, situations or just home monitoring in terms of, you know, being able to have two-way communications, I think there's a lot of technologies here in the home that are going to come into the spotlight because we're going to realize, hey, we're going to need some of this stuff if we're going to take care of ourselves. No, it's a great uh, point I hadn't really considered was the idea of home monitoring covering some of the in-office visits that many patients would have experienced uh, in the normal scenario, but now those appointments are getting canceled because the healthcare organizations are too busy dealing with coronavirus. Uh, You know, one of our very own riders had one of her appointments canceled today because they, obviously coronavirus, they're dealing with that. And she's obviously wondering, what am I gonna do about this? And could home monitoring help give her some comfort to know that, hey, there is some monitoring that's happening. And if there are spikes, then there's an emergent condition and obviously they'll prioritize that appointment, that visit, you know, in a way that makes sense. So I love the idea of using home monitoring to assess and understand who should be triaged next, because I think that's where we're headed. And, you know, by the time it's recorded, I'm pretty sure we'll be living in that state uh, by the time this episode airs, where we need some sort of triage uh, facility to know who should be seen and who shouldn't and who can wait just another week. Yeah, and you know, I, I think for me, it also goes a little bit further than what we're talking about, um, John. Like, we know, for example, um, you know that famous commercial. You know, I've fallen and I can't get up. Right? You press the button, it yep. pages somebody. But we also know that in times of crisis like this, um, those traditional public health, the 911 systems, they're overwhelmed. Right? They're just there's so many people calling in. Some legitimate, some just sort of panicked. Uh, but there's those systems are overwhelmed. So 
I can start to, I would hope that we will start to see some triaging systems where it calls loved ones. And we're starting to see that already where, you know, if something's mm -hmm. happening, if the spike isn't all the way to where you need the ED, but maybe you want to notify your next door neighbor. Maybe you want to notify your son, your daughter, or, you know, maybe you want to be notified if, if, they're, if it's your parent or your loved one. And so that kind of messaging so that maybe I can provide some help, you know, not medical help, but obviously some support. I can just call in, uh, you know, all those kinds of things I think are going to be technologies that are going to become more popular as we emerge from the crisis. Definitely. And I love uh, all these technologies. It's come so far from the I've fallen and I can't get up, but they all fit in that. And it's amazing what they're able to do with a GPS, an accelerometer, sometimes worn around the neck, sometimes worn on the wrist, sometimes worn around the waist. There's a lot of different form factors. But actually one that I really like for home monitoring is the video camera system. And in many cases, they're just thermal video cameras. So they're not actually recording the video itself, which is a privacy issue. They're just the thermal cameras that are saying, are you there? What's the motion? And they're evaluating, okay, well, usually your baseline is, is at 50% of movement every day at these hours. And then if it drops below, it alerts the caregiver to say, hey, why don't you check on your you know, your grandmother, your mother, whoever it might be, to see why aren't they doing it. And it's like, oh, well, maybe something happened, maybe they fell, maybe whatever, they can discover it and then escalate it appropriately. And then, of course, even with social distancing, uh, we see, I mean, Facebook was famous for all those videos with the Facebook video that can go through it. But between Facebook, FaceTime, Skype, uh, Alexa has it even between its ones, uh, you know, you can get access to that caregiver either either for emotional support, which I think is probably needed even more so at this time than anything else, but also to check in with them and see how they're doing, see what's going on. Uh, so I think they're powerful technologies that are available for home monitoring. And we kind of take them for granted a little bit now because they just seem so mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, this, you know, we're using the term home monitoring, but of course, it does include personal wearable devices as well, whether that's, you know, the Fitbits of the world and the watches and those things. So all of these things, I think, are going to get their more spotlight uh, going forward because of what's happening uh, right now with the with the coronavirus. I will say what I don't think is happening with home monitoring is that I don't think home monitoring is going to be great for coronavirus other than the telehealth side that we already talked about. I don't think the wearable devices are to a point where they can measure health status of a coronavirus. I've seen some people say, well, can we measure the SPO2? Could be, you know, maybe right. those indications will come out, but I think it's unlikely other than temperature, of course, blood pressure possibly. Uh, but you know, I don't think it's going to be great for home monitoring of coronavirus other than just asking them how they feel. Do they have a fever? The basic stuff we already know about. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, and I, I agree with you. I don't think we're going to use these devices for coronavirus, but it's all for all the other common things that happen, right? Like yep. someone has a fall, someone has an issue where, again, I think what will happen is these uh, providers are going to realize, these technology providers, hey, not, not everything has to escalate to a 911 call, right? Like we're going to have to have layers and triage yourself. Like you know, it's your own calling network and emergency network because, again, like that system at the very top, that 911, may not be there. Like, and they may discourage you from calling it because, hey, they, they just have to deal with the most critical cases. And if yours isn't, who else can help you, right? And that's where I think the neighbors, the yep. loved ones, and so forth, those now will have to be things baked into these products. 
hey listen if you're just tuning if you're just tuning in you're listening to healthcare it today with john lynn and colin hunt yeah, and thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we always love bringing the Healthcare IT Today uh, episode to you. And be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting application, also at Healthcare Radio. Now you can listen to it live. Every rating and comment is appreciated. We're also available on YouTube if you search for Healthcare IT Today. Plus, stay up with the latest Healthcare IT happenings at healthcareittoday.com. Awesome. Uh, one other one, John, I think we can both agree on that uh, is going to put in the spotlight, this one probably for a negative reason, uh, is just the lack of public communication technologies available to public health officials. The only way we've been notified about anything is through press conferences and television, right? And a little bit through social media, but it is very poor. Uh, and websites, right? So. To me, what's this? What the uh, outbreak has really uh, highlighted is there definitely needs to <laughs> needs to be some focus put on public forms of mass communication uh, in order to get uh, even just the basic information out to individuals. It's kind of sad, really, that we have all this technology and communication technology available, and we have such a poor uh, response and opportunity there. And, you know, I think that there's a it, it's a tough challenge because I think there are some emergency response systems that they probably chose not to use because they didn't want to create more fear and anxiety. Uh, you know, I think that a lot of other people have done, you know, social media, the news organizations have done that well enough <laughs> you know, as far sure. as creating fear and anxiety. So maybe they didn't want to use some of the other systems to really, you know, you can imagine if everyone's phone starts ringing with the beep and saying that they have an emergency alert, which I know is a possibility, that, you know, that would be disconcerting to me. And so I imagine that's why they chose not to use it. But you're right, you know, what is the streamlined way to communicate for the public health agencies? And interestingly, in the U.S., Every state is kind of doing their own thing as well. We could, you know, talk about the logistics of federal versus state, you know, the federal response not being as coherent as some wish, so the states have been doing it, but that problem is going to happen regardless. So we definitely need to address it both on the federal level, on the state level, but I'm also intrigued by the individual healthcare organization level and why, you know, what systems do they have available to reach out to the patients to participate? Luckily, the press has been pretty uh, open into working with them and getting their messages out. I thought it was also interesting. Someone on Twitter said, you know, I've heard from every single company I've ever been to imaginable, except for the health insurance companies. I haven't heard a single peep from them. And I was like, that's fascinating. You would think a health insurance company, in some cases, nonprofit, would want to uh, you know communicate with their members about what they could do, but that's not how they're built. So anyway, it's a challenging problem. Yeah, it is. And and you bring up a good point, John, about local, right? And we do, we do, we talk about national, we talk about uh, provincial or state, we talk about city level. And I think you're right that the the public channels of TV, television, radio have done a good job in partnering with those levels of government. But when it comes down to your local health provider, and I'm thinking all the way right down to your dentist and to your physician, but there is not an easy way for some of them to communicate to all of their patients to go, hey, I'm closed today, or hey, like, you know, only come in if you need this kind of service, but not this kind of service, we're gonna have to move you, or like, hey, like right now our ED wait time is X, 
uh, and we're really just trying to triage these types right now, like all that kind of stuff is available on well, websites, of course. But it'd be much better if you're proactively being able to reach out. And so I think, you know, we, we talked about it last time around patient communications. I think that is something that uh, organizations are going to suddenly realize, oh, you know what, we're a bit lacking here. We might want to reinvestigate what we're doing in terms of, you know, those types of technologies. It would be interesting to go to a bunch of physician websites and see how many of them have updated information about COVID. My guess is that a lot of them are not updated. The exceptions are probably the large health systems that have a lot of practices. They probably have some sort of notification. But I'm guessing a lot of these doctors, dental, forget about it, have, you know, have really put up much uh, about it. Although interestingly, my, my son's dental appointment was canceled next week. So they're definitely thinking about it and you know taking actions. But uh, yeah, yeah, to your point, they, they probably, many of them don't even know how to update their website for something like this, let alone communicate with all of their patients in a, in a manner that would be more effective. So John, let's, uh, let's bring it home by talking about some of the unexpected beneficiaries, uh, technology or otherwise, that will emerge from the, uh, the coronavirus uh, experience here. So I'll start and then maybe I'll, we'll turn it over to you. But one of the areas that I'm uh, uh, convinced uh, will become very popular or people will be looking at after this crisis passes is the supply chain. I mean, we've heard about these stories mm -hmm. about, you know, the inability to get new supplies, uh, the lack of supplies or lack of knowing where the supplies are, whether that be masks or ventilators. And so I think there's going to be explosion around managing supply, managing assets, both the ordering side, but also the assets once they arrive inside your hospital. Right. So this is the RTLS or IoT type stuff. I think all of that is going to come into focus after the, after this crisis passes, because it is horrible right now. I can't imagine what it's like sometimes to go, where is this ventilator, right? Like, because I'm pretty sure most hospitals don't know physically where it is. Is it over in sterilization? Is it in this room? Can someone, maybe someone has just moved it to another room because temporarily we're using OR4 to house this. Like, it's just, no one knows where the stuff is. And so we might have enough ventilators, uh, but we might not, right? and it's hard to know where they are. So I think all that, to me, managing the supply chain, both in terms of ordering and inventory, all the way through to managing the asset once it's inside are going to be technologies that are going to get some spotlight after this is over. Definitely. And, you know, I think there will be a deep dive into what their real disaster planning is from a supply chain perspective, which is probably needed. So I think that will be a great thing. You know, there's two that came to mind as we were preparing for this for me. One that was a surprise to me was I think that the desktop, laptop, uh, virtual environment people are going to do really well, at least in the short term. I mean, I saw a number of organizations that were buying a whole bunch of laptops for the virtual environments they were creating for their healthcare people to be able to right. work from home to do those types of things. So I thought that was an interesting one. And, you know, having the right desktop and even the virtual desktop as well. So being able to take your virtual desktop do it in the office, do it in your practice. It roams around the hospital with you or around the practice, but then you can also do it from home. I think those, they're going to see a, a big uptick and that's going to be valuable. So watch for them to be really successful and a beneficiary of this. What's interesting is will that be a short term and then will, will they take the hit later? And so it's really just moving the purchase or will these be new purchases that now have to be replaced over time? And uh, that will be, that will be interesting to watch. 
The other one that I think is interesting, I actually thought about this from the very beginning, and it really relates to the telemedicine one, but to me it's the self-service options that healthcare organizations are providing. And I think that's a number of things. One is through appointment scheduling. So if you're already using some self-scheduling solutions, you can see how that's going to be a powerful option because your phone lines are going to be tied up, but self-scheduling doesn't have that problem. And it may be able to be, if you use it properly, you can use it to route it to a telemedicine visit, which may be more efficient rather than to your office or, you know, and then if you layer on the other technologies, say, for example, like a buoy health, which is an AI chatbot, which is the other area that I think could really grow, is this whole AI chatbot that goes through and, and analyzes your situation and triages you using a chatbot or, you know, other sort of communication system, you know, could you, could you triage who the people are that need telemedicine, who are the people that need to come into the ER immediately, who are the people you need to send an ambulance to, and who are the people that, guess what, they're just fine, they just need to take some Tylenol because it's probably the common cold, it's not coronavirus because of you know the mucus they have or whatever it might be, right, that they indicate. I think those are gonna be some big winners. It'll be interesting to see though, Will healthcare organizations be able to roll out those types of solutions in a timely fashion, or is it just going to be those that already have it that really benefit? That one I'm not so sure about. Yeah, no, I mean, there's going to be, and, you know, there'll be others that I'm sure that will surprise us, right? John will be probably covering those stories after yeah. this is over to say, hey, who would have thought that X or Y are going to come out of this? I, I think it's going to, definitely going to be very interesting to track this. And uh, yeah, I love I love the example you you, you just gave there about a technology that's gonna kind of emerge. So, hey, listen, thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and IT, health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.